Good morning. We are going to preach the word. I just want to real quickly uh, let you know that Jerry Longbotham is in the hospital, and Jerry has a Christian uh, brother in our uh, village here, and uh, we prayed for him a bunch of times, and he's in the hospital here in Rudosa right now, and so during our, the prayer here in a moment, I'm going to be sure and pray for him. Please join me in praying for him this week uh, that they can figure out what's going on with Jerry. We are in a series called Cringe, and we're talking about words that are very difficult that Jesus said that kind of make us cringe. We talked about the first one was, he said, hate your family. That's been uh, three weeks ago. And then, and then it was, love your enemy. And last week it was these verses that sounded like, mutilate your body. These are really verses that make us cringe. Whoa. And the text today is another one that makes me cringe. Uh, we do things in life sometimes that, that make us cringe. Or that make others cringe. And certainly teenagers, you know, I feel sorry for them because they've got us old parents. And we make them cringe. And so there's a lot of texting that goes on. And I saw this this week about a mom who sent a text to one of her children. And this is what it said. She said, what does I-D-K-L-Y and T-T-Y-L mean? And her child responded back, I don't know. Love you. Talk to you later. And then she said, okay, I'll ask your sister. So if you're not laughing at that, you're one of the ones that makes your kids cringe, all right? And uh, so, <laughs> sometimes travel can make us cringe a little bit. Uh, to me, it just gets kind of exhausting. I used to love to travel, and I'm still looking forward to doing some traveling with Amy. But uh, it kind of makes me tired a little bit to travel. And uh, I heard some news this week, and I was going to show you a picture, but I thought maybe that my sister, uh, Selena Crow, might be here, and I decided not to show you a picture of this. I'll just tell you the quick story because... Uh, I didn't want her to get up and run out of the building, okay? Uh, it was about two women in Arkansas, and what they did was uh, they rented a car on their vacation, and when they went to the truck to, to the trunk to put their luggage in, what they found there was a, was a large boa constrictor in the back of their trunk, and that has to make the picture, if you go look online, it'll make you cringe if you go look at that. Um, you know, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you that... Um, Thinking about travel, I'm, I, I just remember this time, and we're going to tie this all together at the end, but I remember this time uh, years ago when I was, I was traveling to a funeral in Oklahoma back to see, for one of my family members, and so I, I hurried down, I, I drove down to El Paso, I got on an airplane, I was going to get on an airplane, fly to Dallas, and then Dallas to Oklahoma City, and when I got to El Paso, I'm sitting there, and it's, it's delayed, because in Phoenix they had, I don't know, some kind of weather, maybe rain or wind, or it was 175 degrees or something like that, I don't know, planes can't fly in Phoenix, you know, when it's 175 degrees, Whatever it was, they couldn't fly. And I'm sitting there for waiting in El Paso, waiting, waiting, waiting. And, and I'm thinking, there's no way. I'm not going to be able to make my connection. It's not going to happen. I finally, the plane gets there. They get me to Dallas. When we land, I got about five minutes to get to my plane before it takes off. And you guys have been to DFW before, and you know what that's like. You got to go on one concourse the other. I ride the little train. It goes all the way around. I jump off. I'm O.J. Simpson, for you old people that remember those commercials. I am running. I am running through the airport. I've got one bag, and I'm running as fast as I can. I'm sweating. I'm like, look, look out, oh man, I don't want to keep my buddy over. I get, I get finally, it's, you know, it's, I'm running down the concourse, you know, it's gate number two, gate number three, I got to go to gate number 172. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, you know, and finally I get down to my gate and, and I come up and I get to the gate and I run up, I run up to the, I run up to the deal and I'm like, did I miss my plane? Did I miss my plane? And the Southwest lady that was standing there, for as long as I live, I'll never forget what she said to me. And I want to tell you what she said at the end of this lesson. So let's pray, and then we'll read our text. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thanks for our church family. I'm grateful for these people that are here. I'm thankful for the way that you answer prayers. I'm thankful, God, for uh, just the way that we are, are here together today in the name of Jesus. 
I pray for Jerry Longbotham, and I beg you in the name of Jesus, in the powerful name of Jesus, by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, we believe that that is real, and we claim your scriptures, and we pray that you would heal Jerry. Uh, Lord, I, I want to, as has been our habit, I want to continue to pray for other churches in our town, and I pray for the Episcopal Church today, just our neighbors right down the road here. And God, I thank you for the way that they are feeding people on Monday nights. I thank you for the way that they are helping hand things out to people that need things, just like we're doing here at Christian Services. Help us to lock arms in this community and, and to serve in the name of Christ, God. And, and Lord, I, I just thank you for every disciple that, that uh, attends that church, and I pray that they would continue to grow in Christ. And I pray that every time that the gospel is preached, every time the death, burial, and resurrection is proclaimed, I pray that it would not come back empty. I pray that people would give their life to Christ because of that story. And uh, Lord, today, help us as we read some hard words that your son said. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Here's our text today. It's from Mark chapter 3, verse 28 through 29. This is what Jesus' words say. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But, that's already making me cringe. But, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. An unforgivable sin? What do you think Jesus might be talking about? On April 4th, 1912, at about 1140 at night, a ship that was, uh, that was in the Atlantic, the North Atlantic, struck an iceberg. You guys know the ship. What is it? And at that moment, At that moment, at 11.40 p.m., it was all over for 1,503 people, right at that second. Now, the ship didn't sink for another two hours and 40 minutes, but the destiny of those 1,500 people plus was sealed. It was sealed at that moment because one mistake was made running into that iceberg. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you hit an iceberg with your life? You ever felt like you made such a big mistake in your life that you know it's over? That's it. The game is over. The relationship is over. The career is over. It may feel like right now my life is over. Because, and, and all of it hinges on that one thing, that one mistake, that one tactical error, that one moment of poor judgment, that, uh, that horrible thing that I just wish so much I could take back. I wish I could go back. Jesus seems, he seems to be talking about something similar to that in our text today. A mistake, a sin that's so big, it's so far-reaching, that it's just over. And we're going to look today to see what did he say and what did he mean. A lot of people feel this way about these words that Jesus said, the way I just described about the Titanic. I hear people say this to me throughout different times when I'm counseling and praying and talking to people and sharing the gospel. It's too late for me. I've gone too far My moment that I wish I could take back is the one that Jesus was talking about when he said there's an unforgivable sin. Even people who continue to go to church, maybe some people who are sitting here in these pews today, they they still have things that they're either hiding, a deep secret, something in the past, maybe they're running from, and they just believe there's no hope. There's no hope. I just recently heard a Christian say, What does it matter? I'm going to hell anyways. So, this is a serious 
scripture and it's serious for us to understand what is Jesus talking about. I'm going to start by just saying this. What is he not talking about? What is Jesus not talking about when he says the unforgivable sin? Let me just give you a few. First of all, I know that he's not talking about cursing God or doubting God because I read the Psalms and I, will, and I find there that God gives us, his children, permission to bring every angry, doubting, just screaming out to him and at him. He gives us permission to bring all that into his throne room and lay it down at his feet. If you don't believe me, you go read some of the Psalms. I'll give you a list of them if, you're, if you want to challenge and say, I don't think that's true. I'll give you a list of Psalms to read and you see if that's not exactly what God gives us permission to do. What is it not? It's not murder. It's not a horrible sexual sin. It's not an ongoing sin that you just continue to not be able to seem to get over. The Bible is full of people who struggled with sin all their life, and many of them very big sins that we call big sins. And these are the good guys and the good gals. These are God's people. So what is it? Well, let's, keep, let's stay with what is it not. Because when I said, what in the world, an unforgivable sin, what is Jesus talking about? What do you think he's talking about? Some of you, or maybe many of you, many of you may have thought, maybe he's talking about suicide. And today I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. Because I know some of you, and probably more than I know, have people in your family, loved ones, family members, who have taken their life. I'm going to start by stating this, that I believe to be a fact. The Bible does not teach that a person who commits suicide will go to hell. The Bible does not teach that. Now, people have taught that. People have taken scriptures in the Bible, and they have taught that. But the Bible does not teach if a person commits suicide, they will go to hell. It has been taught because it makes logical sense when we take the scripture that Colin read this morning... That says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with son. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. Well, how, if, if suicide is a sin, and I think certainly all of us would agree it is, how's a person going to ask for forgiveness after they commit suicide? 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 indicates that those who are Christians, the word there is that they are being cleansed continually from sin. It's a continual. It's almost like windshield wipers on a... On a car that don't go off. And as the sin falls, it just continually cleanses sin. Now, verse 9 of that chapter, as I just said, or commands us to confess our sins to a God who is faithful to forgive us. But I think it's important for us to, to not trade the Old Testament law and legalism for New Testament law and legalism. This is not a list of rules. This is not... A legalistic rule that God gave us that sends us hopscotching back and forth from lost to save, lost to save, lost to save. I grew up believing this. I don't know that anybody ever taught me this exactly, but I believed it. I believe I'm doing pretty good today. Wow. You know, I mean, I'm, I really haven't sinned at all. Now, I haven't got out of bed yet, but I mean, I'm doing pretty good so far. And, and so I'm doing really good. And so I'm in the light. Man, I'm right here. I'm with the Lord. And then, you know, lo and behold... And now I've stepped into the darkness because I sinned. But quickly, Lord, please forgive me. And now I'm back in the light. I was like a schizophrenic chick, chicken, Christian is what I meant to say. <laughs> the stuff I say that's not jokes is way funnier than the stuff that I say that is jokes. 
I was, I was like a schizophrenic, schizophrenic Christian. That's hard to say. And I just would be back and forth, back and forth. And God forbid that I would go to sleep at night and not say, please forgive me tonight, God, because there might have been something I forgot. I got to get back in the light before I go to sleep. I lived that way for a long time. I remember questions in class, even when I was a teenager, that said, well, if we're in a car wreck, and right before you run into the car and you die instantly, you say, take the, na- the Lord's name in vain. Just right there, boom, and then you die. Are you going to be able to be forgiven, or are you going to go to hell? And I have to tell you, I understand the logic of these questions, but i got to tell you, I believe they're ridiculous questions. They completely misunderstand completely misunderstand God's grace and the safety of being a person who is covered by the blood of Jesus. We do not serve a fickle God who's in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. We don't serve that kind of God. We're that kind of people sometimes. We think that way, and we treat other people that way. Oh, they're my friend, now they're not my friend. They're my friend, now they're not my friend. I love them, now I don't love them. That's not God, that's us. And we try to project that onto him. Now, I have to tell you, that it's scary for me to preach what I'm saying right now. I I understand there's a responsibility that goes with the words I'm saying, and I don't want to encourage anybody to commit suicide. Please hear me clearly. Suicide is a sin. If that's something you're considering today, we want to get you some help. Don't leave here today without talking to someone, without praying with one of our elders. Come and find me. We'll make sure that we get you some help. Suicide is a sin, but the other part of that truth is God is a God who's in the business of forgiving sins. It's like this. It would be like preaching that God forgives people who rob banks. And all of us would say, amen, we believe that's true. We do believe that's true. But it might encourage someone to say, well, let's go. I got a few bills. Let's head to the bank. It might might be like preaching God will forgive a person who gets divorced. We all believe divorce is a sin. I believe God will forgive people for that sin. Somebody might say, man, I am sick of my spouse. I am glad I was here today. I'm going to go get divorced. See, there's some responsibility that comes with sharing the good news and sharing this truth about this God and who he is. Romans chapter 5, Paul had this problem. Verse 20, he says... Where sin increased, grace increased more. He says, it's not possible for you to get more sin and bigger sin than God's grace. Grace is always more and always bigger than sin. Always. And then, just the next verse. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should we go rob the bank? Let's go get divorced. Let's go commit suicide. Should we do that? And Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 6, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, this is a difficult thing to talk about. But we want to know the truth about what does the Bible say. And especially, I believe today, for those of you who are on the other side of tragedies, who've had someone in your family who has committed suicide. We want to know the truth about God and his justice and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness And the hope that is there. And so here is what we must do. And that is what we must do with everything else. And that is we must let God be the judge. We are not the judge. 
We must let God be the judge of these things. So don't despair. If you have a family member, you, you turn that family member over to God and you let God take care of that. This recently, you guys know, with Robin Williams shocking the world by committing suicide. Someone who provided so much laughter for so many people. And we find out that he had been struggling with drug, drug abuse was one thing, but also with just depression. And, and just very quickly, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but just very quickly, I have to say this. When we have, talk about this topic about suicide, I just have to say this about depression. And that is, if there's some of you who are depressed... There's some people who struggle with depression here. If there's some people who, not just some circumstances kind of bummed you out, but you really struggle with being in a dark hole and you can't see the sun come out. I want to tell you this. You are no less than any other person. You're no less of a Christian than any other Christian. There's a teaching that kind of says, if you're a Christian, you've got to be happy, clappy, happy, clappy, all the time, all the time. Yay, yay, yay. God is good. God is good. Smile, smile, smile. Love, love, love. And let me tell you that God offers us all that stuff. But that is, not, that, is, that is not biblical Christianity. The Bible has many authors who struggle with depression. I'll be glad to show you some of those. I'm not going to take the time to talk about them right now. But there are a number of authors. Depressed, wanted to die. Wanted to die. Those are the writers of the Bible. So if you struggle with depression, your struggle is like all the rest of our struggles. And it's possible that God can help you overcome that struggle. Yes, absolutely. But it isn't make you any less of a Christian. It's not something that should be made light of or dismissed or say, well, you don't have enough faith. It's a struggle you have. God can help you with it. One of the ways he helps is with medication. And I just want to say there's no formula for medication. Some Christians try to formalize it and say, well, you should never take medication. If you take medication, you don't have enough faith. That's a bunch of bull, all right? If you need to take medication, take medication. And if God tells you to get off medication, then get off medication. It may have been for a time, maybe for your whole life. This is what we need, not a formula. How much medication do I take? Do Christians take medication and not make ted- t- You get it. We don't need a formula. You know what we need? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to speak to us each day and say, this is where I'm leading you. This is where I'm guiding you. This is what I need you to do next in your life. This is the next place I want you to go. And that's what we want to ask is for the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. I believe there's a story in the Bible that speaks strongly against people saying, well, suicide is the unforgivable sin. Here here it is. It's the story of Samson. Now, some of you may not agree with me about this, But this is my take on that story. Samson committed suicide. And he took a whole bunch of other people with him. And God put that man, I don't think God is saying, there's Samson, I'm holding up his actions as a suicide and push the walls down and kill everybody so you guys should all be like Samson, like that. I don't think he's saying that. But he puts Samson in Hebrews 11 and says, that's a man of faith. I believe he had a moment at the end of his life, or oh, he had a bunch of moments. That's a whole other series of lessons about Samson. That guy's a mess. Somehow God says, that guy is faithful. So, depression, suicide, there's hope for all mistakes, all sins. What else is it not? A couple more things. It's not denying Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. 
It's not a one-time event or action or word, like one time. It's not like the Titanic. I gave you that whole thing, and they made that one mistake, and that was the end, and it's sealed. It's not like that. It's something else. Now, before we go on and talk just a little bit real quickly about what it might be, okay, let's just stop for a second, and let's do this. If you could think of all the sins in the whole world, all the sins ever in the whole world, the horrible things that people have done in this world, there must be dozens of sins. There must be hundreds of sins. What do you think? Thousands, maybe. Millions of sins. And Jesus said there's one. There's one that's not going to be forgiven. I, I want to, let's stop thinking about the one for a minute. Let's think about all the other millions and let's just fall into the ocean of God's grace for just a minute. Would you do that with me? And would you just imagine sinking into the ocean of that grace and everything that you've ever done, the things you're ashamed of, the things that you're hoping nobody finds out about, the things you've never told anybody, the things you think maybe they might be, even though John's saying that, this might be the unforgivable sin. You don't know what I did, John. You don't know what I'm thinking about doing. Fall into the ocean of God's grace and let that be washed away. His love and his grace are unfathomable for us. We should be thankful, grateful, amazed worshipers, followers of Jesus because we're amazed. You'll forgive me? I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything you say, Jesus. Anything. So what is it? What is this one sin? And here's just simply my answer. And I get to give you my answer because I'm the one who's standing up here. Because biblically, there's a bunch of different ideas about the possibility. But here's my one idea. It is a lifelong, stubborn posture that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In the context of this verse, in the context of this verse, the people who Jesus speaks this to have refused to believe that the work he did, he did miracles, and they said, those miracles you did, those are from the devil. Now, were they from the devil? No, they were from God. And they said, that stuff you're saying is from God, that's from the devil. And I'm going to tell you, I've told you this before, that's why when someone says from some place, and they, they say, wow, God did this huge miracle, and I wasn't there, and I haven't seen it, and maybe I feel skeptical a little bit about it, I will never say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. He can't do that. That's not true. You're making that up. That's some kind of work of Satan. Whoa, I am not going there because I don't want to join those guys' camp that Jesus spoke to when he said, don't blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. It is a persistent rejection of God's work in this world. God is working in your life and in this world, and it's a refusal to respond to his continual pleading. It is a lifelong decision to have nothing to do with God or the gospel. It is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you're wrong, I'm right. You're not Lord, I'm Lord. You're not king, I'm king. You don't make the decisions, I make the decisions. I reject you. You're not Savior, you're not God. I'll take care of myself. 
This is a painting by a, a guy named Holman Hunt called The Light of the World. And it's from Revelation, and it's, it's a, a picture of Jesus as it says in Revelation that he stands at the door and he knocks. Open the door. Open the door for Jesus to come in. And the reason it's become such a famous painting is because you notice there's something missing on the door. There is no doorknob. And he painted this painting because he believed that Jesus doesn't open the door to your heart. He knocks at the door, as Revelation says, and you have the choice to respond, to open the door from the other side to him. Other texts tell us, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Jesus said, I wanted to gather you, but you would not. You were stubborn. Hebrews 6 talks about people who've tasted everything God has, and then they walk away from God. It's not that God wouldn't forgive anybody. It's that they just, he doesn't have anything left to give. The Holy Spirit has given everything he has to give, and they said, that's not enough for me. Not interested. And they stubbornly reject and walk away. The only unforgivable sin is to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus Christ. That is the only unforgivable sin. Today the Holy Spirit is God's witness to the hearts of people. He bears witness that we need a Savior and that Christ is our Savior. He convicts men of sin and their lost conviction or their lost condition. The Holy Spirit is God's final call. Final one in your life. Respond. Give your life to Christ. Don't reject. I will tell you this. If you are here today and you are struggling with the question, have I committed the unpardonable sin? I hope I haven't. I don't want to. It was horrible what I did. I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't do it. I'll tell you this. You haven't. You haven't done it because the unforgivable sin occurs when a heart is so cold and hard toward God and toward his spirit that there's no feeling there. You could not care less about this kind of stuff. Dr. Jerry Vines tells a story about a man who sounds like he crossed this line. He went to church for a long time, and when the invitation was gone every time, he would feel convicted, and he felt so heavy and just awful when he was at church. And he told Dr. Jerry Vines, he said, one day he walked out of church, and he said, God, I'm going to make you a deal, because I hate feeling this way when I go to church. So I'll make you a deal right here and right now. If you will leave me alone and never again speak to me, I will never call on you for help. And he told Dr. Jerry Vines, 20 years ago, I made that deal with God, and to this day, I've not broken my side of the deal, and neither has he. And if that man went to his grave with that deal with God, then he crossed the line of committing the unforgivable sin. So I told you, I ran to the gate. I'm standing there. Oh, oh, oh. Did I miss my flight? Did I miss, did I miss my flight? Did I miss my flight? Now look up, and that Southwest worker said these words to me. Mr. Duncan, we've been waiting for you. Come on and get on board. And I want to tell you guys, we live... We live in a time 
of wonderful grace. Do you understand that? A time when God is waiting patiently. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to him. The Bible proclaims whosoever will may come. Through the preaching of the word, through the witness of other people's lives, the Holy Spirit is convincing people of their need for this personal relationship with a Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you today, if you have never responded to the Holy Spirit, may I on behalf of God and the Holy Spirit say, we've been waiting. Get on board. Do it right now. Right now as we stand and as we sing.